We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Go to the chapter tonight, and then at the end we'll highlight some things, I, I guess you could say, that might give us some practical application and a summary. But um, we come now to a point in the book of Judges where we're kind of working our way up to this individual by the name of Jephthah. Uh, we're not there yet. We're kind of setting the scene. But notice what we read here in Judges 10. It says this, that after Abimelech, in verse 1, there arose to save Israel Tola, the son of Pua, the son of Dodo. I know that's a funny name, huh? A man of Issachar. And he dwelt in Shamir in the mountains of Ephraim. And he judged Israel 23 years. And he died and was buried in Shamir. You know, we don't have a lot of information on this judge. Uh, the book of Judges is about a bunch of guys, one gal, that the Lord used to deliver the people. Um, it's a book about the rebellion of man, how, you know, we're just so inconsistent with God. And yet, he's so consistent with us. You know, I know if we were all honest here, you know, which we really should be, uh, we're all just we're all just wretched sinners. You know, we're wretched men and women. You blow it, we blow it. Um, we don't want to. I pray that you don't want to. And that's where the distinction is. There's some of you here, maybe you don't care. If you don't care, uh, that's a different story. But if, you, some, if some of you here, we care, we try. We want to do what's right. And, and the bottom line is that, that we blow it. I just thank God that, that He's there to forgive us. He's there and all our sins have been nailed to the cross. You know, and that's kind of what we see in the book of Judges. These were God's people. They were going up and down and all around. You remember the cycle? They would sin and they would get sentenced. Then they would finally, you know, offer up their supplication and then there would be Salvation. It was a cycle that they would go through over and over again. Kind of like our lives, sometimes we go up and down, up and down. You know, and that's not an excuse. It's not like, oh, they did it so I can do it. As a matter of fact, I think it's something that we should look at and say, God, help me not to do this. You know, when I read the book of Judges, I think of that verse where the Bible says, these things were written that you may not sin. But if you do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. If you're here today and you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, then all your sins are washed away. You're free, you're forgiven. When you die, you'll go to heaven. Why? Because Jesus died for you. But if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, then you are not forgiven of your sins. You stand in your own righteousness. And one day when you stand before God, you will not, you will not enter into heaven because you are not good enough. You're not good enough on your own. Well, maybe you're a good person. Hey, I give to the poor. Hey, I help old ladies across the street. Yeah, well, you're not good enough to go to heaven on your own righteousness. You need Jesus. Jesus paid it all. He died for you. All you have to do is humble yourself and receive him as Lord and Savior. And for us as Christians, that's what we've done. You know, and I thank God for that. You know, that he has delivered me from the power and the penalty of sin. But in reading the book of Judges right here, we have kind of like a visual illustration of how life can go. And we see what the Lord does, man, that his people are messing up. 
And what God does, you know what it says in the book of Ephesians? He gave men as gifts to the church. It's interesting. He gave some to be prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists. He gave men as gifts. You know, you read 1 Corinthians 12, you read Romans 12, you know, 1 Peter chapter 4, you read about the gifts of the Spirit, and they're very cool. But when you read Ephesians 4, you read about men who are gifts. You know, I don't know how Billy Graham's doing. Uh, you guys probably heard he went to the hospital, man. And I wonder, what's going to happen when we lose Billy Graham, you know? Chuck Smith. They were gifts to the church. These men are gifts to the church. Here's this guy, uh, Tola. You know, obviously Israel was messing up because notice it says in verse 1, there arose to save Israel, Tola. You know this guy, he rose up. God raised him up. He rose up. And God used him to save Israel. You know, I pray that we would be encouraged by that. And, and maybe even think, Lord, I'm not much, but you know what? My family needs a leader, or my you know community needs a leader. This world that we need, man, we need a president, huh? What's going to happen to us, you guys? I mean, wouldn't it be so cool if one of you was president one day? You know, you really love the Lord, you serve the Lord, and uh, wouldn't it be cool if we had this godly alternative? I mean, this guy with integrity and... You know, it just seems like there's no leaders that are really men of integrity. Maybe you can be one. This guy right here, he arose, and it says right here, to save Israel. Apparently this Tola was named after his ancestor, Tola. He was the son of Issachar. Mentioned in Genesis 46.13, Numbers 26.23, it has it. It says the sons of Issachar, according to their families, were of Tola. The family of, notice even the Tolaites, the Pua, the family of the Punites. And so anyways, this guy was named after his ancestor. Uh, the only other time we see him in the Bible is here. And I don't know if you guys know this, man, but it's, you know, in the Bible it's significant what names mean. Tola, does anybody know what Tola means? It means worm. Worm. I thought about that. I'm like, Lord, why is his name Worm, you know? And it might not be significant, but I do know this, that God can use worms. Some of you here are worms. You know, I'm a worm, right? (laughs) We read there in verse 1, though, that this worm saved Israel. Maybe you feel like a worm. Maybe you feel like a, a, a jerk. Maybe you feel like an individual who's just not good enough. You've blown it, or whatever it is. The inconsistencies of your character. I'm telling you this, man. God can meet you here right now, and he can use you even though in and of yourself you're a worm. How can worms win? Well, the answer is found in Isaiah 41.14. Look what it says. Fear not, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. I will help you, says the Lord and your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. That's how we win. Because even though we're just worms, we're nothing, God will help us. See, and God helps us through these things, you guys. God will help you overcome yourself. This guy Tola, he was from Issachar. He dwelt in the mountains of Ephraim, and he judged Israel 23 years. That's a pretty long time. I don't know if you guys can see the map where you're at, 
But Ephraim right there is kind of in the middle of the, of the land right there. He's from Issachar, which is up north above Manasseh. That's where he lived. I always like to get visuals anyways. And that's where he ruled Israel. Think about it. For 23 years. And so we have Tola. After him, in verse 3, it says there rose Jair. He was a Gileadite and he judged Israel 22 years. Check this out. He had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys. They also had 30 towns, which are called Havoth Jair to this day, which are in the land of Gilead. And Jair died and was buried in Cammon. And so this next judge rises up. He's the seventh judge in the book of Judges. And this guy, he rules for 22 years. Now again, if you look at the map, you'll notice that Gilead was on the east side of the Jordan. I don't know if you can see it from where you're at, but there's Gad right there on the other side of the Jordan. And there's Gilead on this, we would call it the east side. Um, and this is where now it seems most of the power has shifted. And this is where all the action is going to be for our study today. But this guy right here, it mentions him ruling for 22 years. And you know, it says that he had 30 sons and they rode on 30 donkeys. Now in that day, kind of like today in many ways, only wealthy people could afford to provide their children with their own personal donkey. Like if you had 30 sons, it would be like, hey, I have 30 sons and they all have 30 Mustangs. You know, it would be kind of like that, you know. That's what he's basically saying. You know, I know my wife, she had, well, her dad had three daughters, and all three daughters had three Mustangs. And he would always brag about that, you know. (laughs) But in this case, we have 30 of them, right? And so anyways, it meant that he was successful. It meant that he was wealthy. You know, you might find it interesting to know that donkeys are mentioned 12 times in the book of Judges. Uh, We're going to even read later in chapter 12, verse 13, about this guy. He had 40 sons and 30 grandsons who rode on 70. So his sons and his grandsons were all hooked up with donkeys, man. And he judged Israel eight years. Anyways, you know, you guys probably know that a donkey refers to the times of peace and prosperity you would ride on the donkey and that the children of Israel enjoyed when they had these donkeys. And right now they should be enjoying, so to speak, this mountaintop experience. You know, God wanted to bless them. Here's what's going on. Before we get into the the downfall, we're going to talk about 45 years of blessing. You know, and I don't know how your life is, but for some of you here, things have been going pretty good. You're going to see very good in comparison to some of the trials that are ahead. What are you doing in the days of prosperity? What are you doing in the 45 years of prosperity? Because I'm telling you this, the trials are coming. And if you're not in the middle of a heavy trial or going through whatever, the struggle, the difficulty, man, take advantage of that time. Get rooted, get grounded, get strong, get ready for the trials that are ahead. That's kind of what we see here with the children of Israel. A lot of commentators will note that, that these guys should have enjoyed this moment when they were riding on donkeys and they're having their times of prosperity. You know, we read in the Old New Testament about Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and that was a time of peace, right? And so they should have been blessed by that. You know, these guys right here, not only did they have 30 sons with their own personal transportation, 
they also had their own personal locations. Notice what it says right here again. After him arose Jair, a Gileadite, and he judged Israel 22 years. He had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys, and they also had 30 towns. Think about that, man. And so this place really began way back in Deuteronomy 3, verse 14. Numbers 32:41, And here we again, we see him being named after his ancestors. And so basically the, the, the guy writing Judges, he's just kind of setting us up. He's telling us about these good times. And then we go back into what we see so frequently in the book of Judges. Because look what it says in verse 6. And then the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths. The gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the people of Ammon, and the gods of the Philistines, and they forsook the Lord and did not serve Him. You know, it's kind of tough going through Judges, to be honest with you. You know, because part of me is like, man, Lord, this is tough. You know, how do we... You know, connect the dots here in our life. Here we are, it's 2012. You know, how does this Tola guy and how does this Jair guy, you know, what do they have to do with my life today? And, and then the Lord, He just says, you know what, you gotta really examine your life, Manny. You gotta really look deeper in. Because what you'll find, and I think what I find a lot of times, is that we are serving these other gods. And we're not really serving the Lord. You see, and that's something that we really have to examine our life in. And everything that God had done, man, was so awesome. I mean, and for you. Everything God has done for you. I mean, you know, He made you. He custom made you. You are special. You are the apple of His eye. You know, He died for you. And man, just so many things between... You know, the time that you were born and now. You know, and for the children of Israel, everything God had done. But then they turned their backs on the Lord. You know, we see that they served these other gods. Judges chapter 2 verse 13 says they forsook the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths. You know, but you guys in verse 6, this time it's a little different. This time there's five more national gods that are mentioned. Now the gods of Syria, Sidon, Moab, and Ammon, and the Philistines. And so what had happened? Things had gotten worse. It demonstrates here the extent of Israel's idolatry. Not only did the people worship the major Canaanite gods, the Baals and the Ashtoreths and the Asherahs, but they now absorbed the religions of other groups. The more extensive list here indicates the depths of Israel's decline. You know, and this could be a big thing. You know, it could be, you know, you guys are like accepting Mormons now. Or you guys are saying that JWs are Christians. And you guys are saying that oh, Catholics are, are cool and there's nothing wrong with them. You know, it could be that. There's a lot of people out there that believe those types of things. They're not willing to make a stand on the fact that Mormons are not Christians. They're not. They call themselves Christians. But they're not. They believe in a totally different Jesus. Their Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer. That's not my Jesus. My Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He's God Almighty. 
He wasn't a man at one time who became a God who, you know, did these things. No. See, but that, you know, that might be part of what we see here. But I think for us personally, I don't know about you, but I know for me, you know, my, my God are the things that consume my time. My God are the things that I'm passionate about. That I'm affected, that I, that I just, you know, it's my master passion. It's what makes, wakes me up in the morning. It could be something stupid as my computer. Stupid as my phone. It could be a person. Any person. It could be me. It could be, I mean, just so many things. Your job. It is so easy to be guilty of idolatry. It's so easy when, you know, God's no longer the passion of your life. Now we're an idolater, you know? And that's what they were doing, you know? And there's a lot of things connected with this, the sex. Oh, you know, you go worship over there, and then, you, you know, they say that, you know, sex before marriage is no problem. Well, I like that religion. You know, the parties, the orgies. I mean, there's a lot of temptations here. You know, the money. The money. You know, we're going to see later, God's going to tell the children of Israel, you know, I'm not even going to deliver you anymore. You know what, you go ahead, ask your money to deliver you. You know, and I thought about that and I thought, wow, what a bummer that would be, huh? You know, if God said, okay, you can have her, you can have that girl, but you can't have me anymore. I mean, wouldn't that make you feel empty? Oh, go ahead, you know, you win the lottery, I'll give you a whole bunch of money. But you can't have me anymore. I mean, when you really think about it, I mean, wouldn't that just leave an emptiness inside of you? Don't we want God? You know, but that's where they were. They had, it says right here in verse 6, the children of Israel, they did evil inside the Lord. They served all these other gods. And it says they forsook the Lord and they did not serve Him. And got so bad that they, even all these crazy gods, man, were part of their life. It's amazing to me how cheap we can sell out. You know, if you think about it, God had delivered these nations into their hands. God had defeated Baal. If you remember, you guys remember the story of Gideon? Remember the story of Gideon? That was the defeat of Baal. I mean, they wiped them out. It was a great miracle. And now they're back serving Baal. I was talking to my kids about this because they're like, well, Dad, it's been, you know, a lot of years now. That was a long time ago, you know, 45 years at least. And But I was telling my kids, I said, but the way that it works is that, you know, they should remember what happened 45 years ago. And you, Aaron, you, Ariel, remember what happened to me, how God changed my life, how one day I was addicted to drugs, Addicted to everything a man could think of and how God came in and miraculously saved me. Transformed my life overnight. And I tell you about my testimony so that you can remember what God has done. And then you see it in other people's lives. And then you tell your kids. And they tell their kids. They don't have to go get their own testimony. You see? But what happens? They they went back. The God that you know they had delivered, God had defeated Baal. They returned to that. And it's just crazy, man. God delivered them, and yet they went back 
to those things, you know? And, and, you know, we can do it. I can do it. I'll be honest with you, man. The other day I was having some tiramisu, man. I'm like, hey, this rum, there's rum in here, huh? And then, you know, alcohol, thank God. Before I was a Christian, I used to get drunk, man. I couldn't stop. As soon as I became a Christian, the day I became a Christian, never drank again. Never. Never did. And thank God I'm never tempted. But man, you know, the other day I was like, hey, I was telling Shelly, when would it be like to have a beer, you know? Not that I was being, you know, necessarily tempted, just kind of thinking along those lines. Imagine how crazy it would be if one day I got a bottle and just drank it. Man, this guy's selling something. You just get it and you know what? I'm going to light up. You can go back, huh? Just like that. Can you go back? How about you? I think we can as Christians. You know, God had called Peter into the ministry. God said, no longer will you be a fisher of fish. I want you to be a fisher of men. But what happened to Peter? Peter went back to his work. Huh? He went back to his work, because I bet you being a fisherman was pretty fun. (laughs) Right? That can happen. The rich young ruler went back to his wealth. We read in Matthew 19.22, he came to Jesus. Lord, what do I lack? There was something there, man. God was working in his life. And the Lord says, well, this is your problem. You've got money as your problem. Go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor. Come and follow me. But it says the rich young ruler, he went away sorrowful because he had a lot to lose. So you can go back to your work. You can go back to your wealth. Demas went back to the world. All the things that the world has to offer the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, that Demas had forsaken Paul, having loved this present world. You know, right now we're in our devotions in 2 Peter, and it says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, it happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his vomit, and a sow, or what is that, a pig, having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Have you guys ever seen a dog eat... Lick up its own vomit. That's what we do when we go back. It's sick, huh? I was thinking about this. A pig, you know, going back to the... Think about it. You get a pig, man. And you clean it all up. Nice. You put a little bow on it or something, you know. And then as soon as it's done, it goes and it just, man, it just crashes in the mud. You know, and this dog, how do you stop it from, you know, eating its own vomit again? And this is something inside. This is something outside. You know, I was reading about Warren Wiersbe talking about how some Christians are not just wolves in sheep's clothing, but they're dogs in sheep's clothing. They're pigs in sheep's clothing. Because they're going back. And God's called us out. Right? Isn't that what the church word church means? It means that God has called us out. Right here we see the sin of omission, that they forsook the Lord. And we see the sin of commission, that they We're serving these other gods. It reminds me of Jeremiah 2, verse 13, in which it says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that can't hold no water. Those things will never satisfy. They really won't. And so what happens? When they do evil in the sight of the Lord, look what happens in verse 7. It says, So the anger of the Lord was hot, against Israel, and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the people of Ammon. 
From that year they harassed and oppressed the children of Israel for 18 years. All the children of Israel who were on the other side of the Jordan in the land of the Amorites in Gilead. Moreover, the people of Ammon crossed over the Jordan to fight against Judah, also against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. And so God's people go back. God loves them. And so God disciplines them, right? This time it says that his anger was hot. Um, that's not a good thing. One version says it was raging. Um, you know, and so what does he do? He, he sells them. And God's done this again back in chapter 2, verse 14, chapter 3, verse 8, 4 and 2. God has sold them. What ends up happening? I, they, they find themselves under the power of sin. The power of sin. The power of these countries. You know, and maybe you're here today and you're like, man, I don't know how to get past this. And you, it's because you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. Because, in, you know, you've been living that life. God says, okay, this is going to be your discipline. You're going to experience life on your own strength and you're going to find that it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a terrible life. You know, God wants so much more for us. But a lot of times, you know, we sell out. And we live a natural life, so to speak. And God wants us to live a supernatural life. What ends up happening? It affects the people of God directly in Gilead and the area of the Amorites east of the Jordan. And then it spills over into the west side of the Jordan, into Benjamin and Ephraim and Judah. So, you know, it affects the heart of the nation. Gilead, you know, Benjamin, Judah, Ephraim. You see him right there. I mean, this is where these nations come in and they invade the heart of the land. And that's what ends up happening, man, is the enemy gets control of your heart. That's a terrible place to be. You know, it really is. And what ends up happening is it affects every other area of Israel. We read, look at in verse 9, it says that they were severely distressed. The Hebrew word means to bind, it means to be cramped, it means to suffer distress. The same word is used in chapter 2, verse 15 of Israel, in their times of discipline. Or in Genesis 32, 7 of Jacob, when he thought that he and his family were going to die at the hands of Esau. This is a terrible feeling. You know, and you know, maybe you find yourselves tonight greatly distressed you know and maybe you are if you have been disobedient to God and so what should you do well look what we read next in verse 10 and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord saying we have sinned against you because we have both forsaken our God and served the Baals how do you get right man how how do you get, you know, plugged in again? How do you get the joy, the peace, the love, the direction, the voice of the Holy Spirit? Now, how do you get that purpose back? How, how do you overcome? Oh, I'm going to go read more chapters in my Bible. You know, maybe that'll help. Oh, I'm going to pray longer. Yeah, you know, that'll probably help if it's if it's real, you know, connection with God. Oh, I'll serve more in the ministry. Now, that probably won't help. Now, how do you do it? 
Three words. I have sinned. We have sinned. I have sinned. Say that to the Lord. You know, because I'll only Shelly will tell me, hey, you did this. No, I didn't. You did. Oh, man. You know, we're just so prideful. We don't want to say those those words to God. You know, or if we do, we just kind of say it real quick, and then, you know, hey, i got to go to 7-Eleven or something, you know. And that's, that's where they had to come to that point after 18 years. 18 years is time to grow up. Oh, I'm never going to grow up. Yeah, you might never grow up. That might be you. You might die like that. After 18 years, though, maybe it's time to grow up. Maybe it's time to say, Lord, I have sinned. I have sinned. I have sinned against you. Those massive, monumental, immeasurable words, man. It reminds me of the parable of the prodigal son. Remember what he was blessed with, the father who forgave and restored him instantly when his son repented. In Luke 15, 21, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. No longer worthy to be called your son. Yeah, I have sinned, but I'm worthy, man. Well, then you haven't really repented. You know, well, I'm not worthy to be the pastor, but, you know, I'm worthy to... Man, no one's worthy to be the pastor or anything in the church. I'm not worthy to to scrub toilets. I'm not. You see, repentance says, I've sinned, I'm not worthy. I really believe that because of my sin. But God, I cast myself at your mercy, and I know who you are. You're a merciful God. So that's what they did. They cried out. Just like the prodigal son cried out and was restored. It's so important for us to use the word sin. Don't just say I messed up. Use the word sin. Don't just say mistake. Because what happens is those labels that men use, they strip the meaning of the message. And what they do is they, you know, when you when you say sin, it brings God in. It strikes the soul. It awakens the Almighty. Because those words are mighty. And yet they're just words, right? Because that's not the end of it. You can't just say we have sinned. Because look what ends up happening in verse 11. The Lord said to the children of Israel, Did I not deliver you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the people of Ammon and from the Philistines, also the Sidonians and the Malachites and Maonites, and oppressed you and you cried out to me and I delivered you from their hand? Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore I will deliver you no more. Go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in your time of distress. You know how some pizza places deliver and some don't? All that other stuff, they don't deliver. That guy over there, that girl over there, that thing that you've been just, oh, I want it so bad, I want that iPad. It doesn't deliver you. Only God delivers you. You know, I have sinned. It's a good start, but it's not enough. It's not enough. The Lord begins to talk to him, man, think about this. I want you to think about everything that I've done in your life. Think about it. Meditate on it. 
I mean, specifically, all these areas of your life that I've changed and the ways that I've blessed you. Think about it. You know, so that this time, you'd really change. Because you said it before, but you didn't really mean it then. This time I want you to think about it so that you really repent. You really surrender. You really change. I mean, think about all these you know, people, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Sidonians, the Amalekites, the Mayanites. That, that might be the Midianites. We're not really sure, but it doesn't even matter. God says, you know what? I'm not going to deliver you anymore. Now, does God owe you anything? He doesn't really owe us anything, huh? He doesn't. I mean, some people are Christians, and they're suffering chronic pain. You know, my heart goes out to them, you know? Some people are Christians, and they're just, you know, paraplegics. They can, all they can do is move their head or something, you know? And your heart goes out to them. And then here we are, we've got all that we have. We're like whiners. You know, we, we're blessed. We're blessed. God doesn't owe us anything. One day when we go to heaven, thank God, you know, we're going to go there. Everything else is just, you know, icing on the cake. God doesn't owe us anything. He says right here, I'm not going to deliver you anymore, man. You made your bed, now you lie in it. Go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in your time of distress. You know, and I don't think God was just messing around. I don't think God was bluffing. You know, I don't think God was just saying, you know what, you know, let me kind of pull this out of them. I think this is pretty much where he was at. I mean, if you could think about it, I know it sounds kind of hard to, to believe, but I think God was just kind of like fed up with them. You know? And he can feel that way because he's God. But um, but it's so cool because the children of Israel, they go farther. And verse 15, the children of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems best to you. Only deliver us this day, we pray. And so they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And that's so cool when you read that right there. You know, when you read of God delivering the children of Israel, He says, listen, you want your other gods? Man, they're not going to be able to deliver you. Jeremiah 2, in verse 28, I like this verse right here, you guys. It says, but where are your gods that you have made for yourselves? Let them arise if they can save you in the time of your trouble. For according to the number of your cities are your gods, O Judah. You're like, I don't, I don't got any gods. I'm enough. You're your own God. And, and you know what? You're not going to get far on your own. We need to remember the things, the people, the money, the men that we put before the Lord are powerless to help us, utterly unable to deliver we need to turn to the Lord. Here's a really cool scripture. If you guys want to turn over to Isaiah 44.
Look what it says in Isaiah 44, beginning in verse 9. It says, Those who make an image, all of them are useless, and their precious things shall not profit. They are their own witnesses. They neither see nor know that they may be ashamed. Who would form a god or mold an image that profits him nothing? Surely all his companions would be ashamed, and the workmen, they are mere men. Let them all be gathered together. Let them stand up, yet they shall fear it. They shall be ashamed together. The blacksmith with the tongs works one in the coals, fashions it with hammers, and works it with the strength of his arms. Even so, he is hungry, and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. He's talking about how, you know, they would. these were the guys that would make the idols, the idols that they would worship. And, you know, I mean, even the guys that make them, you see, look at the... The way that they're just human. They're just men. They're just natural. They're weak. They're helpless. You know, and all the things that vie for our affection. You know, that consume our time. That consume our, our thoughts. That capture our heart. You know, they're, they're weak. As opposed to God. You know, and just really having Him. You know, he goes on to say, the craftsman stretches out his rule, he marks one out with chalk, he fashions it with a plane, he marks it out with a compass, and makes it like the figure of a man, according to the beauty of a man, that it may remain in the house. He cuts down cedars for himself and takes a cypress and the oak. He secures it for himself among the trees of the forest. He plants a pine and the rain nourishes it. Then it shall be for a man to do what? To burn For he will take some of it and warm himself. Yes, he kindles it and bakes bread. Indeed, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it a carved image and falls down to it. He burns half of it in the fire. With this half, he eats his meat. He roasts a roast and is satisfied and he warms himself and says, I'm warm. I've seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god. His carved image, he falls down before it and worships it prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. They do not know nor understand, for he has shut their eyes so that they cannot see, and their hearts so that they cannot understand. And no one considers in his heart, nor is there knowledge nor understanding to say, I have burned half of it in the fire. Yes, I have also baked bread on its coals. I have roasted meat and eaten it. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? You see, and this right here was a reality. They would literally, you know, take that wood and, and make an idol. Hopefully there's none of you here that does that. Uh, maybe when you were Catholic, you did. Did any of you guys pray to St. Jude? St. Christopher? You know, I saw a, a, a car the other day had a big old decal of Mary on there. I'm like, man, they really like Mary, huh? She can't hear their prayers. She can't hear... Those saints, they don't hear prayers. They're in heaven. Why would they want to hear your prayers, man? You know, the idols. Sometimes it is statues like that and how foolish that is. But the most of the time, and I'm just telling you even struggles that I have, most of the time they're things, they're people that we put before God. You know, that are vying for our affection, that are stealing our time of prayer, that are stealing our heart. 
Either your heart's for the Lord or it's not. And if it's not for the Lord, then you're not right with God. You got to get your heart back with the Lord to where He's your passion, to where He is your everything. You go back to Judges chapter 10, and we've got a couple of verses left. Look what it says right here in verse 15. It says, And the children of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems best to you. Only deliver us this day, we pray. And so they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. You see, repentance has an acknowledgement of sin. I have sinned, but it also has a surrender to it, you know? It's like, Lord, look what he says right there in verse 15. Do to us whatever seems best to you. Only deliver us this day, we pray. Now, apparently there was something going on that day that was heavy. It was, Lord, help us through this day. Please, God. And then do to us whatever you want. And that's a good place to be. You know, when you think of your own life, is it your life? Is it like, okay, God, this is what I want out of life. This is what I demand. If you're good, if you're a good God, then this is the way it's going to be for me. Is that your heart? Because that's not the heart of a Christian. I mean, it's cool. We can say, Lord, you know what? I have this in me. I can't deny it. I like girls. You know, I want to get married. <laughs> I like guys. I want to get married. That's cool, you know, or whatever it is. You know, I, I, I like Max. That'd be cool. Whatever. A house. That's cool. But, but, but it's got to be totally submissive to an attitude that says, my life is yours. And ultimately, God, whatever you want to do with my life, that's what I want. It's kind of weird. It's kind of weird. If I can say it this way, I remember when I had my daughter, and it was a girl, and then the next one, you know, I wanted a boy. Oh, I kind of wanted a boy. And so people would ask me, do you want a boy? And you know what I would tell them? I'd say, I want whatever God wants. That's what I want. I want whatever God wants. Because that's where it's got to be. See, that's repentance. And you're not going to have any, you know, successful Christianity until you get there. See, because first there has to be acknowledgement of sin, and then there has to be an absolute surrender. See? And then there has to be a severance of all those things. Look what it says right here. They put away all the foreign gods. They put them away. What does that mean? That they put them in the closet? No, they burned them. <laughs> they took them out in the trash and they said, take it. And they watched it go away. I'll never see you again. See, that's repentance. Right? What did they do? And they served the Lord. Four words to start with an S. Sin, surrender, sever, and serve the Lord. That's what you do, man. Okay, Lord. I'm going to serve you. And when that happened, it says right here, his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel. You see, God is wonderful. And God at times is graciously predictable. Because here's the promise. When you get real with God, 
when you get real with when we get real with God, He will just bless your life. But if you're a faker, if you're a poser, if you're you know you got a testimony and not a testimony, God's not gonna get real with you either. You know, He loves you. And I'm not saying that you gotta stand up there and say, I don't sin anymore. You know, I got it all together. No, I'm just saying you're real and you're like, okay, Lord, whatever you want to do. See, God will meet you there. And God said, He is compassionate on us. And He's, He's such an awesome God. Look what it says in Psalm 51:17. I know you guys know this verse. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. Think about that for a second. Just ponder that. Broken spirit. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. See, but a lot of times we're just not broken. You know, broken, like, what do you mean broken? Well, broken is the wild stallion that used to go its own way. Because it was a wild stallion. I mean, you know what a stallion is? You're seeing the power of a stallion? It goes its own way. Until one day it's, it's broken. It's humbled. It's like, wow, the Lord is going to lead my life now. I'm, I'm, I'm humbled. I'm broken. God, you lead my life. And when, there, when we're there, the Bible says God will not despise us. God in no way will take the... He just gets so excited. He says, wow, that's so cool. Look what's happening in their life. And so it says in verse 17, And the people of Ammon, they gathered together and camped in Gilead, and the children of Israel assembled together and encamped in Mizpah. And the people, the leaders of Gilead, said to one another, Who is the man who will begin the fight against the people of Ammon? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. And so there's going to be a showdown. Lord willing, we'll look at the showdown next week. You know, the people of Ammon are on this side, the people of Israel on that side, and they're like, okay, we need a leader. Who's it going to be? Or we're going to see next week that the Lord raises up this guy named Jephthah. And so real quick, I want to go over this handout with you guys, and then we're out of here, man. Some things that I think, you know, you can take home. Because I know we went through this, and there's a lot there. But here's something that you can take home with you. And the first word is rising. God raises up. We talked about that. God raises up leaders, right? But also, we can rise up. Nehemiah 2.18. Nehemiah was looking at the condition of the walls. He says, let us rise. And let us rebuild Jerusalem. Rise up. Rise up. Maybe you're the man. You're the woman. You're the one. You just rise up, right? I think of Isaiah 6, 8. You're like, I don't know about me, man. How can it happen? And what does Isaiah says? Here am I. Send me. Just make yourself available. Number two, redeeming. Are you redeeming the time? You know, for 45 years, the people of Israel enjoyed peace and security, but the people of Israel didn't take advantage of these years of peace to grow in their relationship with the Lord. So maybe you're here today. Things are totally cool. Hunky-dory. Some of you here are like, yes, life is great, right? Okay, if that's you, take advantage of that time. Get into the Word. Get rooted. Get grounded, man, because the winds will be blowing soon, okay? We need to be rising. We need to be redeeming. We, are we rebellion? 
Are you here today rebelling? Warren Risby said, If people had only reviewed their own history and learned from it, they would never have turned from Jehovah God to worship the God of their neighbors. If you're here today and you're rebelling, I'm telling you right now, man, you're in for it. You're in for God's discipline. Are you a sheep? Yes or no? Are you acting like one? Are you following your shepherd? Yes or no? Are you a wolf here today? You're here because you want girls? You're like, hey, I like that one over there. Are you a dog? I'm sorry, I just have to say that. Are you a pig in sheep's clothing, man? Don't go back to your vomit. Don't go back to the mud. Jeremiah 2.13, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can't hold no water. What about repenting? What about repenting? When we're comfortable in enjoying His blessings, we tend to forget God and assume that we can sin and get away with it. Comfortable living often produces weak character. And so be careful, you guys, with that, man. Four words, I think, under repentance. Number one, I have sinned. Number two, surrender. Number three, sever yourself from all those things. Maybe it's relation. Maybe it's an ambition. Maybe it's a possession. Get rid of it. I know people that have thrown their computers away because they were addicted to pornography. If you're addicted to pornography, get rid of your computer. Do what's necessary. When I first got saved, I threw away all my devil music. I did. Maybe you need to do that. And then the last thing right here is receiving. Receiving. The Lord, man, will wash you. The Lord will bless you. The Lord will shower down His mercy on you and forgive you of all your sins. And don't let the devil tell you that He won't. I'm telling you this right now, man, that when you get right with the Lord, when you give Him your heart, then He will make you as white as snow. And you need to receive that. I like what it says right here, in Isaiah 63, verse 9, In all their affliction, he was afflicted. It's not easy for God to see his kids go through that, man. And so that's why we really need to receive the mercy of the Messiah. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, I just pray you forgive me of my sins. Lord, I don't want to sin. At least I don't think I do. Father, I pray that we would know that you're everything to us, Lord. Um, even as we close with this last song, Lord, singing to you about how you're, you know, like you're there, like the air we breathe, Lord. You're just the one to sustain us. And so I pray that all of us here tonight, the, the brothers, the sisters, and those maybe, Lord, who need to return to you or maybe come to you for the first time, that they would know that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. Lord, I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would do a new work in every single heart here today. Thank you so much for loving us and for giving us this word, Judges chapter 10, which I know can be a tough chapter, unless we really open up our hearts to you. So we love you, Lord. We thank you. Please, Lord, do a great work in our lives. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's all stand. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.